You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast, your number one source for everything hunting, shooting, fishing, and a little bit of politics. Sit back and relax as we interview some of the most experienced outdoorsmen in the industry today, where you'll learn valuable tips and tricks to make you a more successful hunter, shooter, and fisherman. Here's your host of the Australian Hunting Podcast, Jason Selms. Welcome back, and well, well, this is the Australian Hunting Podcast, and you're listening to episode 23, Nozzlers Huntcast, the outdoor show's Joe Duckworth. Welcome back, everyone, for an early July 2012, and uh, on this podcast for episode 23, I've actually got uh, Joe Duckworth from Nozzlers Huntcast, the outdoor show. Now, when I first got into listening to podcasts, you know, on hunting and shooting, you know, to get me through, you know, those down times when you're not hunting and shooting, you just want to breathe and live hunting and shooting. And uh, first off, I went to YouTube to check out a lot of the videos and watch hunting videos. And then I thought, well, I wouldn't mind listening to something while that I was in the car while I was at work. So I did my research and I actually found Joe Duckworth's show as in Nosler's Huntcast, the outdoors show. And, uh, you know, and Joe is a very, very passionate guy about hunting and shooting. Uh, he loves hunting and shooting, and he also loves the uh, politics of hunting and shooting as well, and the laws involved in that. You know, it's not just in America, you know, and sorry, Australia that actually have laws like you know, you know, like that the Greens want to put against us. You know, just because the you know U.S. citizens have the Second Amendment doesn't mean they're not under fire from those green type anti-hunter and anti-shooting outfits you know america definitely has their fair share of those as well uh, you know that lie and create uh, and deceive the public into thinking hunting and shooting is a bad thing so uh, it was great to have joe on my show and i can, I can actually probably credit himself and you know brian downs from the predator hunting talkcast uh for me actually developing the australian hunting podcast so you know, it was a pleasure to have Joe on the show. Uh, if you don't know who he is, again, Joe Duckworth, you can check him out uh, on iTunes at Nosler's Huntcast, the Outdoor Show. Uh, you can check him out at huntcastshow.com and uh, again, available on iTunes, just like my show, the Australian Hunting Podcast. So uh, it's, it's a great podcast and I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, I went to the SHOT Show 2012, the SSAA SHOT Show, uh, met up with a lot of people, uh, that just recognized me from photos and stuff like that and had a great chance to talk to a lot of the listeners and uh, got some feedback about some of my podcasts, uh, which I think was really positive and uh, met up with Dave Brazier from Bore It Up Your Magazine uh, at the SHOT Show. Uh, I thank Tim and Diana Mellon from the SSAA for organizing me a media pass. Uh, I got to go to the Friday night, chat to people and uh, on the Saturday went back for a full day and pretty much Sunday was just a rest day because we just had a massive day there and uh, probably met up with about 20 or 25 people, uh, listeners that listen to the show and, uh, you know, met up with uh, Robert Borzak and his son Adam Borzak at the Shooters Party Stand, Shooters and Fishers Party Stand, and, uh, yeah, just had a chat about politics and uh, all the good stuff that's coming out just recently. Uh, so, you know, kudos to the uh, SSAA for putting on an excellent shot show. Uh, you can probably be aware, too, the Game and Feral Animal Control Act 2012 came out probably about a week ago and uh, was uh, put through Parliament. And uh, the funniest thing I wanted to mention to you guys here was, first off, well done to the Shooters and Fishers Party, uh, Robert Brown and Robert Borzak, you know, for pushing shooters' rights in New South Wales. I mean, if it wasn't for those guys, I don't think we'd have much in the way of anything of shooting, hunting or fishing in Australia. And uh, those guys did a fantastic job. Uh, you know, and I, it was quite interesting because when they were debating the Game and Feral Animal Control Act, I watched it for four whole hours and uh, let me just say, it was almost like watching school kids, 
you know, uh, bitch and complain about uh, hunting and shooting, which is obviously, as we all know, the Greens, David Shoebridge, Jerry Buckingham, uh, Kate Fairman, uh, and the whole cronies there on the Greens bench of the upper house. And, uh, you know, obviously David Shoebridge again, he's a smart little cookie. He, you know, he was crapping on about, you know, f- you know uh, high-powered rifles and blood sports and, uh, and you know, like with the SHOT Show, when they did the SHOT Show, uh, you know, Shoe- Shoebridge had to get into the media on the Sydney Morning Herald and basically say, you know, that Beretta had deals with the Gaddafi, uh, the Gaddafi regime, and uh, you know the the merchants of death. I mean, it's just. <laughs> I've got to laugh because it's just ridiculous, you know. And I was sitting there for four hours from about six till about ten thirty at night, watching Jerry Buckingham sit there and say, you know, you'll be lurking in the bushes and you'll be rubbing deer scent on you and lurking around. And how dare there be laws against people protesting against feral animals? And uh, the reason the Greens were so kind of stupid was because the fact that uh, the Labor Party actually put an amendment forward about guaranteeing those 79 national parks on the list uh, to be locked in in that schedule and they can only be changed by coming back to the uh, Parliament to vote on. And the Greens were honestly that... I mean, stupid is saying the nicest word, but uh, they didn't agree with Labor because in actual fact, they said we cannot actually on record, basically, agree with national park hunting. Therefore, they couldn't see the bigger picture of uh, what they were trying to do was the minister can now just gazette more national parks in the back of a magazine or major paper and we can get access to more national parks. Now, in, in essence, that probably wouldn't have passed anyway, but uh, it just goes to show you that the Greens can't even see the bigger picture. And they don't even want to put their name on paper that they agree with any national park hunting, even in the face of if that had gone through, they didn't even agree with Labor. So, I mean, it just goes to show that they'd rather lose the bigger picture than actually put their name on paper to guarantee and lock in 79 national parks. Uh, You know, it's just ridiculous. And uh, even Labor couldn't, couldn't even fathom why they wouldn't support it and four hours of watching this uh these guys you know the the greens just you know basically you know hammering you know the the government the shooters party about high-powered rivals and and they'll use any words anything necessary in the public eye to get the public on their side and it's honestly it's just shameful absolutely shameful and uh you know but it definitely opened my eyes to uh, what goes on in Parliament in the upper house and what happens when people are voting and what happens when you know policies and amendments are going through and bills and uh, h- how these things are actually debated in Parliament quite a quite a good watch but uh, you know the Greens are mad they're absolutely mad and it just it showed that and I think it actually shows to a lot of people in the upper house what you know uh, these people are like anti hunting anti shooting and anti everything at every at, at every cost even even at the cost of the uh, New South Wales taxpayer so um, I don't see what's wrong with it it's great to get out national parks it's not going to cost the taxpayer anything and it's a fantastic thing so if you want to if you want to join the shooters and fishers party which i'm a member uh you can jump on shootersandfishers.org.au and you can donate to them. It doesn't have to be much like anything. It, you know, I, I donated $20 last week. Yeah, it's not much, but I mean, uh, with the caps now on uh, contributions to political parties, uh, our party has to survive on donations. So it's really important that you get those donations in. And, uh, you know, the corporations like the SSAA can't actually, you know, give the money that they used to give to the to, the, to, to those political parties. And, and the 
the individual like us, 180,000 or so of the licensed shooters in New South Wales, even if they gave, you know, $10, I mean, that's a lot of money to get through even per year, $10. That's like a lot of money if a lot of people do that. And everyone, I think everyone can afford $10. I mean, Subway costs $10. You know, KFC or Red Rooster costs $10. So jump on the site, you know, join the party. Yeah, just give a few dollars. So uh, also to our website, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au is coming up very soon. Uh, I had to give it to a new developer because uh, where the previous developer going, I wasn't really happy with it. And uh, I, I wanted something really specific and, and they weren't providing that. So I'm estimating again about a four to six week period before the uh, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au website is up going to have past episodes we're going to have people blogging on there from the facebook page i'm going to be selecting people from the facebook page to upload their hunts reviews and uh, get a lot of people not just myself involved with it. i'm going to get other people involved with it and you know make it just as much their podcast as it is mine so if you want to if you want to uh, express interest you can email me at uh, australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com or leave me a note on the facebook page as well but jump on the facebook page as well since we're talking about facebook australian hunting podcast load up your photos and videos you guys know i love seeing it all i'm a bit bit of a bit of a photo junkie and a uh, video horse to so jump on there and do that twitter ah podcast again email us at australian hunting podcast gmail.com uh, iTunes, jump on iTunes. Remember, iTunes is free, guys. You don't have to. I get so many emails about people don't have an iPhone. You don't have to have an iPhone or an iPad. You can download iTunes for free, 100% free. You can uh, load up the program. You can uh, go on the iTunes store and you can download podcasts for absolutely 100% free. So uh, don't forget to rate us five stars and also leave a comment on iTunes, guys. Very important. While you're listening to this now, jump on the iTunes page and leave a comment. That's muchly appreciated. I think We've got about 20 or so comments on there now. Also, too, someone mentioned to me about Stitcher. I've actually logged an RSS feed and the uh, link to Stitcher. So I'm hoping, you know, in the next couple of weeks, that's going to be uh, indexed in Stitcher. So if you don't have the iPhone, that you can actually go on Stitcher from anywhere in the world, download the iPhone or the Android app and listen to the podcast on there. But uh, the most important thing, guys, is getting the uh, sharing the Australian Hunting Podcast with your friends and family. I think that's most important. Uh, get it out to your friends and family, your work colleagues. Uh, as I said, even if you get one person into listening to the podcast or one person into hunting and shooting, that's going to be a lot more voices in New South Wales voting for the Shooters and Fishers Party and our rights in New South Wales. Uh, don't forget too, you can jump on my uh, business website, aussieferalcontrol.com.au uh, and you can actually click on the right-hand side, guys, and this is important, you know, uh, giving donations to, to, the, to the podcast. Uh, this helps me out with uh, getting the uh, uh, website up, which has cost me a few thousand dollars. Uh, you know, my uh, hosting fees and stuff like that, I'd appreciate any donations as possible. That'd be fantastic. If you jump on the aussieferralcontrol.com.au website uh, in the right hand widgets page if you go to about me or even the blog page it should come up on the right hand side the uh, paypal donation link click through and uh, you can make any donation you want or do a scheduled month to month uh, automatic uh, uh, payment donation schedule so um, pretty much that's it uh, you know this you know this podcast is probably going to be a bit of an eargasm i hope you enjoy it so let's rock this show. Without further ado, let's get into my interview with Nosler's Huntcast, the outdoor show's Joe Duckworth. Hi, this is Joe Duckworth, host of Nosler's Huntcast, the outdoor show. We've all got a passion for hunting, fishing, and shooting. You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. All right, Joe Duckworth, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for coming on my show, mate. I really uh, appreciate your time for coming on the show tonight. And uh, 
I actually got to credit you and uh, Brian Downs actually for um, your both your podcast radio shows because when I was actually listening to your guys' uh, radio and podcast shows on hunting and shooting, I thought, hey, you know, maybe the Australians need a uh, hunting and you know fishing uh, and shooting radio show as well. So, mate, thanks for uh, being a little bit of inspiration for getting my show up and running. So now we know who to blame for it, right? Is that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it, mate. That's pretty much it. Uh, thank you for coming on. But so uh, let's say people that might listen to my podcast uh, radio show, Joe, may not know who you are and what you do. Can you give uh, the listeners, say, a little bit of a rundown of what you do, a little bit of a rundown about uh, you know, how, how, how you got into hunting, say, shooting and a little bit of fishing? Well, you know, it's... Uh kind of something you're born into, um, uh, depending on where in the country you're from. I grew up, um, my father was an avid fisherman, did some hunting, um, and I've, I've just, basically since the, my earliest memories is, you know, some of them are fishing, um, I can remember shooting a gun when I was seven years old, I think, for the first time, going out and plinking cans with a twenty two with my father. Um, and that's a pretty common story here in the States. That's how a, a large portion of our population gets into it. Is it's, it's passed on from one generation to the next. And in the area of the country that I'm from, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, it's very, very uh, beautiful area, very forested. Um, one it, In Outdoor Life magazine, I think it was, it was rated either number one or number two areas of the country to live if you enjoy the outdoors. Yeah, no, I've lo- I was looking at some uh, photos of the Upper Peninsula in Michigan, and uh, I guess you get the best of both worlds. It's, you know, nice and nice and green in the summertime and <laughs> very, very cold in the wintertime. <laughs> well, yeah, we, we get approximately 300 inches of snow a year. I'm not sure what that translates to in meters, but... Uh, just just to give you an idea, two days ago we had, uh, oh, I would say three-quarters of a meter of snow. <laughs> we, we, had, we had a lot of snow. I, I had um, probably an eight-foot drift of snow over my truck that I had to go clean off in order to uh, go to work. So, unfortunately, after a while, you realize that... Uh, Living here in the summertime only just barely makes it worth living here. <laughs> yeah, and I was thinking about that yesterday. I was like, you know, like imagine, I, I, I was thinking the summertime is probably beautiful and green because I actually lived, I worked on a ski field up there back in my younger days, in my early 20s up in uh, up in Maine, you know, the far, uh, what will that be, the northeast. Uh, yeah, and it was, yeah, it was beautiful, beautiful in the summertime, but once we... Once we got in there and we had to sort of start bumping those ski lifts in the uh, middle of winter for eight hours a day, it soon it soon started to get a little bit old, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I've got the opportunity. That's one of the great things about living in the country that I do live in. You know, you've got a lot of freedom to, to do what you want to do, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade living here for anything. I've been to other areas of the country, and they're fun to visit, but this is home. Yeah, I know, mate. Exactly right. So... Um, tell us, Joe, how did you, um, you're the host of uh, Nossel's Huntcast, the outdoors show, but how did you, say, come up with the idea, like, where did you come up with the idea to, to, to you know, say, start developing, you know, a podcast? Because obviously when you first started, it would have been at your own expense, on your own back, and what motivated you to do so? 
Well, back in 2006, I discovered podcasts. They had been around for a while, I guess. Um, hadn't really become popular until the uh, very small MP3 players came out, where you could uh, where you could take the uh, you know shows with you. And this is uh, this is before the days of the iPhone and all of that, where you had to actually download the uh, show off of a computer and transfer it over. And I would do that when I was on the road for for my regular job and listen to podcasts. And I was trying to find a hunting, uh, fishing podcast, and there really wasn't much out there. Um, one of the shows that I listened to, I can't even remember what it was called now, but um, the guy was in Pennsylvania, and, and I kind of got an idea how podcasts work, and it was an enjoyable thing to listen to, but then he quit doing it. And I was, I don't know, I guess in, in a fit of madness, I just said, well, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> not even knowing how how to actually record one or anything, so I did a little investigation on Google to try to figure out you know what kind of software I needed to record and edit things and and all of that. And uh, I decided, well, since I was just starting to get back into spending a lot of time outdoors hunting and fishing and shooting with my son, that um, that's what I would do. And I recorded the first one in secret. So that my girlfriend had no idea I did it because I felt like a complete dork at the time and uh, felt foolish. And um, I did it, and people listened to it. And then I did it again, and people, more people listened to it. And it just took off from there. And here I am now, going on six years later, and I'm still doing it. Yeah. So I mean, have do you do you have do you have quite a quite a strong listener base? Would you say from uh, all over the states? Uh, from all over the world, um, clearly. Um, you heard of me. Exactly, <laughs> so, I have. Exactly, and, I have. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, outside of North America, Australia is the number one country where I have listeners. I have, um, I have, I don't know, thousands of listeners in Australia, which which is good. I I think that that shows that there's a, a thirst for for hunting and fishing information and shooting news and uh, things about gun laws and anti-gun and anti-hunters, that's, uh, there's a thirst for that knowledge in Australia that's not there in some of the other parts of the world. No, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I, I found out about you, um, I just searched iTunes and I thought, you know, when I'm not hunting and shooting, you know, you, you get a little bit of sort of, you know, you, you want to get out there and hunt and shoot. And I'm, I was always on YouTube looking at you know, hunting videos and, and firearm videos. And then I started looking at podcasts. Then I found, you know, uh, some podcasts that were from over here that are sort of no longer, you know, uh, yeah, they stopped doing them. And then I found you and Brian. And then I just thought, yeah, it's great, you know, because some people ask me sometimes, they say, well, you know, you're the Australian hunting podcast. Why do you interview people from overseas? But a lot of the concepts and a lot of the hunting and shooting, especially, you know, in the dark and waterfowl, predator hunting, we can, you know, structure those ideas over here and, and make them work for us over here. So it's not really, you know, uh, you don't really have, it's good to have, you know, people from listening all over the world because a lot of the concepts are the same. Uh, one thing I've noticed that it doesn't matter what language you speak or what country you live in, if you enjoy hunting, if you if you have not just enjoy, but if that is, something that you care deeply about it, it it doesn't matter if you're in australia the united states england germany 
um, Kuwait even. It's we're all the same. We're we're all related. We're all connected, and within our love of the outdoors. And after about five minutes, you've got different accents that you have to try to uh, deal with. But after about five minutes of talking to someone, you realize they're just like the guy that lives next door to me. Yeah, no, nah, mate, you're exactly right. I just and I love talking to people from all over the world, especially you know in regards to as you said before the politics and the you know anti hunters and the anti gunners and um, I mean because you guys probably as you'd be well aware have it you know quite good compared to a lot of other countries that's for sure. But I know at the moment from reading about Obama and a few other things that. You know, you guys are under threat a little bit too every every day and every week from the anti-gun lobby. Well, the thing that we've got going for us here is we have a very strong core group of activists that don't sit back and allow things to be done to us without a fight. And I would say leading the guard in that when it comes to hunting and shooting would be the NRA. Um... I think that without the NRA, we would have lost our rights that we have. See, you've got to remember that in our country, our philosophy is different than most of the world. We believe that you're born with these rights, and all man can do is take them away from you. It's not something that's granted by the government. It's granted by your creator, and our Constitution protects those rights, doesn't grant those rights. So we're very lucky that our founding fathers put that down in paper because when it starts to get really bad, and it does here just as the same as it does there, we've got a core group of people that stand up and say, you cannot do this, and we'll spend the money and go through the labor that's needed to stop them from doing that. One thing that I I constantly do for our listeners is I'll say, if you want to see what happens to a country when you turn your back on this fight? Because we have a lot of complacent hunters. You know, they're more worried about hunting than they are their right to own a gun. And in our Second Amendment, there's nothing in there about hunting. We have the right to keep and bear arms. It doesn't matter what we use them for. When we have complacent people, I say, look at Australia. They thought it couldn't happen to them either. And now look at look at it. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're going through some hard times at the moment. I mean, um, we have at the moment, especially in Sydney, in New South Wales, where I'm from, on the east coast, we've had a lot of drive-by shootings with handguns and. Um, a couple of, probably about in 2002, they actually banned um, anything over a 38 caliber. So no 40s, no 45s, no 50s, nothing. Only up to 38 special uh, or 38 super as well. So nothing above 38, basically. And um, in 1996, they had a buyback of uh, due to one of the uh, you know large scale uh, shootings uh, down in um, in Tasmania, and they took all the semi-automatic uh, shotguns they took all the semi uh, sorry pump action shotguns they took all the semi-automatic rifles and i mean they're still available to people say that um you know have a genuine need for them but unfortunately in australia you know personal or home defense is not a valid reason to own a firearm you have to be a sports shooter or say a farmer or rancher primary producer or something like that that would allow you to own a firearm and Every week and every day, we are under the pump constantly from the anti-gun lobby that now they, they want to ban semi-automatic pistols altogether. So, 
Um, and just recently, too, over the last couple of weeks, they their new idea and initiative is um, creating a law that will uh, allow only allow the person that owns a firearm in that specific caliber to purchase ammunition. Um, so if you, if you, if you have, say, a 308 bolt-action rifle and uh, you want to buy ammo, say, you know, to, to give to a friend because a friend sends you down to the local gun shop to buy ammo for a 243, you no longer will be able to do that. So there's, a, there's you know, we, we, obviously the, um, our, our uh, politicians here, especially in the hunting and shooting community, see that, that, you know, this won't work whatsoever. You know, there's no way it could possibly work. I mean, uh, these laws are just going to be useless. So we are constantly fighting. And um, luckily, especially with the age of, you know, Facebook and all this type of stuff now that, you know, the, the, the politicians can't squeeze these things under the carpet uh, against hunters and shooters because the word just spreads like wildfire on these social networking sites. And uh, unfortunately, up until now, and, you know, this is me being guilty included up until, you know, probably the last few years, a lot of shooters are uh, lethargic and apathetic and don't want to get off their butts and uh, they don't really care sometimes. So, it's you know, a lot of people are changing that, that you know, personality that we're trying to get you know the word of hunting and shooting out there so you know in 10 years we're not going to have no sport at all or we'll only be able to own a 22 long rifle well i'll be honest with you i could never tolerate living in a country where the government cares more about the life of a cow and thinks that the life of a of a farm animal is more valuable than my life and by letting ranchers own guns that you can't own to protect yourself, that's exactly what they're saying, that the lives of livestock is more important than the lives of the citizen. That's right. And sometimes, unfortunately, the criminals, uh, you know, if a criminal gets into your home, for an example, and you happen to say, um, you know, kill the person, heaven forbid, kill the person, um, especially if you're a licensed uh, law-abiding firearm owner, I mean, you've got some pretty, especially over here, you've got some pretty big answers to come up with, that's for sure. I mean, uh, you know, uh, you have to, your life has to be directly in danger, basically, to avoid some type of charge, you know, some not being charged with either manslaughter or possibly even murder. It would depend on the situation, I guess. Well, I just all I'd like to say is tell your listeners not to give up because we were heading down that road as well. And... We've been we've, through a strong national organization like our NRA and through grassroots efforts, uh, and especially, like you said, with Facebook and everything else, we have begun to turn the tide against the anti-gun people, the anti-hunter people. They're always going to be there. They're, they're not going to go away. If you think that that's you know, your goal, you're going to be disappointed the rest of your life. The thing that the most important thing it's for people who do believe that you do have the innate right to protect yourself, your property, and your family, and you do have the right to go out there and utilize the land for hunting and for legal hunting and fishing, then you need to band together and become strong together because separately you'll surely hang. Exactly. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that a bit more towards you know, the middle and the end of the podcast, but how, how did you come up with the name uh, for the show, for the Noz's Huntcast, the Outdoor Show? Okay, well, it started as Huntcast, the Outdoor Show, and Huntcast was just a play on words with podcast and hunting, 
and then also fishing, you know, because you cast a lure to fish. And it just, that's just what I came up with on the spur of the moment. And because people didn't really know what a podcast was, I added the outdoor show just to kind of point people, you know, into the right direction. Um, you got to remember, like I said, when I started the show, maybe only 5% of the population even knew what a podcast was. Um, that's changed quite a bit <laughs> in the last few years. Six, six years is an eternity on the Internet. Um, things have changed quite a bit. But in the beginning, you know, I, I, I would have to explain to every single person I encountered what a podcast was. Uh, <laughs> it was. It was funny. Exactly. So you said it's been running for about uh, six years now. How many how many episodes do you have? Because I think I was on iTunes. Uh... Oh, I'm not exactly sure. We, we lost a bunch of them. Um, unfortunately, when I first started the show, there was a free um, there was free hosting for podcast producers, and I had all of my shows uh, uploaded to a particular website that in the middle of the night one night shut down with no notice and I lost most of my shows. I think right now there's, I don't know, something like 50 shows that are available. I've got a few that some listeners have sent me on, on a CD that I need to, uh, that I need to get uploaded and onto the webpage so people can go listen to some of the old ones. Uh, just last week I put out an old show from 2007 and man, <laughs> has, has the show ever changed? Let me tell you. Um, I, but I did have an old show. I had a problem with my microphone. And instead of uh, not putting out a show, I put out a, a, a rebroadcast, basically, of an old one. And uh, it's, uh, well, it's embarrassing. <laughs> That's right. I think I remember listening to one of your shows, too. And uh, one of the listeners, yeah, sent you a CD with some of the uh, old podcasts, yeah, that, you, that you'd lost. Yeah, yeah. So I do have a few of those that I need. I still need to get uploaded, but um, you know, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, as I'm sure you're finding out. And um, the hard part is everybody starts out all gung ho, but then after a few years of doing it, you know, you're doing it as a hobby. Um, if you you know if you plan to get rich, it's not going to happen. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it, your love of the subject matter, I guess, is what gets you through it. Absolutely. So, I mean, in saying that, uh, are you the only person that runs the show? Do you have any help from anyone that may, say, contact your guests uh, to help you out? Or is just, you know, you love doing it on your own back and you do everything that regarding, you know, obviously getting the show out, the editing, you know, contacting guests? Is, is it just you? As far as the actual production of the show it's all me. I don't. I don't have anybody. But I, I don't want to say that I don't have people that help me because right from the very beginning, I've had some of the most amazing people that have helped me with the show as far as agreeing to do interviews, agreeing to um, tell people about the show. Um, you know, some of the I some of the icons in the industry, some of the nicest people you'll ever meet in the world that do hunting and fishing shows on, on television have uh, gone the extra mile. And then on top of that, people like uh, David Block from Outdoor Edge Knives, um, Randy Luth, who used to run DPMS 
uh, Firearms, which is now part of Remington. They've all really, really uh, just amazing people who I think without them and without their support, I probably wouldn't be doing the show at all anymore. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, I've I've heard many of your guests uh, on the show, and uh, I was thinking I was only listening. I think it might have been episode one hundred, I think. And uh, Ted, uh, big Teddy Nugent, uh, man. I, if, if ever there was a good person in the hunting and shooting community, especially his TV show and just his general thoughts on everything, you gotta love Ted Nugent. That's for sure. Well, I'm from Michigan, you know. <laughs> Even though I'm five hundred away, five hundred miles away from his. Uh, his hometown. I uh, I gotta I gotta count Ted among one of the best guests that I've ever had. Um, Ted was kind enough to actually uh, change his flight plans and fly into town early one time to do my show live on the air. Uh, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I also have a radio show. And Ted actually uh, was coming up here to do a speaking engagement at one of the uh, universities. And when he found out he was only going to be a few miles away from me, actually, uh, he chartered a uh, private flight and came in three hours early in order to uh, do sit there and do my show for three hours with me, and that was a lot of fun. Oh, that would have been fantastic. I bet you were pretty happy about that. Oh, yeah, ecstatic. And, and Ted is the best guest because all you have to do is say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, joining the show today, Ted Nugent, and then you just stop because he just, Keeps talking. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, yeah, I've watched him on YouTube, and some of the stuff he says just 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 makes total one hundred percent common sense. But yeah, unfortunately, common sense eludes a lot of people. Unfortunately. Oh, absolutely. Well, you got to remember, Ted. Ted long ago decided that as an entertainer, as a bigger than life personality, that's the way he was going to be. Ted can sit there and argue the finest minutia of laws and philosophy with you, but he doesn't choose to do that. That's not his strength. That's not, you know, being Ted Nugent means that um, you're going to shock people, you're going to be bigger than life, you're going to be in their face, and it works. That's right, it sure does. So, um, speaking of uh, Nosler, how did you come up with the, uh, I guess, changing the name and uh, getting Nosler on board? Well, like all of my sponsors, I've never really gone out and tried to find sponsors. Um, they just seem to find me. And uh, one of the employees who's no longer there at Nosla um, was a listener of the show. And one day I came home from work and flipped on the computer and checked my email. And there's an email in there from Nosler asking about information for sponsorship of my show. He'd been listening for, for quite a while. And I responded, and one thing led to another, and a few phone calls back and forth, and um, they, I gave them the standard, you know, package of this is what we normally do for an ad on the show, if you'd be interested in doing that or whatever, and they said, no, you don't understand. We want to be the title sponsor. We want this, we want to be partners, basically, with you in your show. And that kind of set me back a little bit, because I'm thinking, I've heard horror stories about people who have done that and then lost all control over their show. And at the time, I mean, I wasn't doing it for the money. I've had listeners send me donations when I was, you know, really hurting for money for hosting and things like that or helping out with the show. Um, you know, I don't do it for a living. I have a regular job just like everybody else. Um, and I was somewhat afraid to do it. And I said, well, you know, half the show is about fishing. 
has nothing to do with bullets. <laughs> and they said, no, we don't want you to change a thing. We just like what you're doing, and uh, we want to be a part of it. So I agreed to do it, and i got to say, it was probably the best decision I've ever made. Nosler is one of the greatest companies out there. They make the finest bullets and ammunition. They're sold worldwide. If you're ever going to go hunting in Africa, uh, you would be a fool to use anything other than a Nosler bullet. Exactly. I I use Nosler myself, actually, in my uh, 223, the uh, 50 grain Nosler ballistic tips, actually. Yeah, the ballistic tips and the partitions, I mean, they invented it, basically. If if it's new and revolutionary in the uh, bullet design area, um, they're probably one of the ones who came up with it. Yeah, and, and, you, and you raised a good point there, too, and I, I actually totally agree with you. It's hard sometimes, isn't it, to... Um, you know, when people kind of, I've had, a, I've had almost or to one person want to come on as a major sponsor for me and change the title of my show. But uh, yeah, it's hard to say because, you know, like I, sometimes when you first make your podcast, it's, you know, like for me, it's my baby. It's, you know, it's my, I've put my heart and soul. I've put, you know, my time, my effort, my blood, sweat and tears, so to speak. And, you know, sometimes even when I get and I've only just done it recently, even getting a few friends off my Facebook page to help out with question writing or to help out with contacting guests. It's, it's honestly taken me a lot just to allow a little bit of the creative control to, to go out to other people to help me out so I can, you know, you know, one, make a better podcast, two, to get more episodes out. But no, I totally understand, Joe, where you're coming from. I mean, it really is when you, I can understand your trepidation when you didn't want to, you know, maybe have a large sponsor come on board because it's something you've, you know, created from the ground up. I mean, it's, it's, it's from you, it's from your body. It's, you know, something you've created out of nothing. So. Well, yeah, that's different too. And I, you know, this is probably industry stuff and probably boring as all get out to listeners, but you know, one of the things that I always think about is the, the anonymous people that are out there listening to my show, driving down the road in their car or laying in bed at night with it on in the background or, or kids that are finding it for the first time. And to be honest with you, the reason I keep doing it is, and I know it sounds, you know, cliche, but it's because of them. Um, I, I just, and one of the one of the fears you always have is, you know, if you agree to do this for the money, are you abandoning those people who are listening because because you don't take money? Because you, you, you know, when somebody asks me about a product, I give them my honest opinion because I'm not paid thousands and thousands of dollars to say good things about the product. Um, and I told Nosler that right from the very beginning, and they understood that because, like I said, they've been listening to the show. And, that, and the same thing with Outdoor Edge Knives. If I say something good about somebody's product, it's because uh, I believe it and it's true, not because somebody paid me to say that. And I, I don't ever want to do the show where that situation will change. Uh, good point, mate. So what's the, I guess, what's the future plans for the podcast? Any sort of... You know, you're not going to stop it in the near future, I hope, or any, any chance of expansion, getting new, say, uh, you know, uh, advertisers on board, or what's, the, what's your plans for the future? Well, to be honest with you, I, I really don't have any set-in-stone plans for the show. Um, in my personal life, I ran into a few challenges in the last couple of years that I've, I've had to deal with, 
And I'll be honest, the show, um, it's taken a toll on the show as well. I haven't been out there looking for sponsors or, or trying to market the show to get more listeners um, because I've been dealing with that. But, um, you know, as far as the future goes, I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing and let God sort it out because uh, it's worked so far uh, for the first six years. So for the next six, I imagine I'll just keep doing more of the same. And, uh, you know, every year we get more and more listeners. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be any any uh, any end in sight to that. So I'll just keep doing it, and, and hopefully people will enjoy listening. No, exactly. So what do you, what do you think the best thing... Uh, to say, come out of running a very successful hunting and shooting podcast. What's what's the best thing that's happened to you based on you know you running the podcast? Well, it's got to be the people that I've met in the industry. Um, that's directly related to the podcast. I mean, um, Nasler uh, brought me out to the Shot Show, which is the world's largest uh, trade show for for the uh, hunting and, and shooting industry. Um, it was just unbelievable. I mean, thousands upon thousands of people who are all, uh, very powerful people in our industry, very famous people in our industry, very innovative people in our industry. And to be able to walk through Las Vegas and, and walk through that, that convention just was mind blowing. And, um, you know, and some of the, some of the people that I've interviewed, um, you know, being able to spend time with Ted Nugent, uh, being able to pick up the phone and call Tom Knapp anytime I want. Um, I mean, what a great man. I mean, the, the, to be able to, the, the things that he's done for me and to help with my show and the advice that he's given me over the years, it's just just amazing, the people that I've met. Yeah, I, I had Tom Knapp on my show about just a few episodes ago, and Man, what a nice guy. What a really nice guy. He was more than helpful. Uh, we recorded over about two two days, like two separate days. And yeah, he was more more than happy to come on. And what a wealth of knowledge. Just a really great guy. No, absolutely. And and for every Tom Knapp out there, there's a hundred other guys that you may not have heard of um, that, are, that are exactly the same way. That uh, I, I, I just, I, it amazes me. Every time I meet somebody new or I interview somebody new, and I think, you know, they're just, <laughs> I haven't met a bad one yet. Uh, I, you know, there's some bad things in our industry, and um, there's some some backward thinking in our industry, but as far as the individual people, um, they're just all first-class people. Exactly. All right, mate, let's get into some, you know, hunting and shooting. Let's get into some juicy stuff. So let's say what's some tips, you know, that you might give to say, let's say we've got a new hunter or, or a shooter. He wants to get into hunting and shooting. What, say, some bit of advice that you'd give, say, a new person getting into the sport? Well, the first thing, obviously, the obvious answer that everybody should know is, no new hunter should ever touch a firearm without some at least basic firearm safety instruction. Now, I understand in, Aust- in Australia that that's, you know, something that's done and, and officiated and licensed and everything. Here in the States, we have mentoring programs. We have hunter safety. But for the most part, it's adults teaching their children um, how to be safe with a firearm. 
Um, so obviously, once you're proficient and, and safe with whatever it is you're going to use to hunt, whether it's a bow, a firearm, a crossbow, um, then I would surround myself with people who have been doing it because there's no better teacher than a successful hunter with hands-on instruction. Um, you learn more from, uh, I learned more from my father about hunting than I probably ever learned uh, reading a magazine when I was young. I learned more about appreciating the outdoors um, from him and his friends than I ever learned by watching TV. Try to find somebody in your life who's already doing it and asked to go along on a hunt. Even if you're not going to hunt, it'll still be a, a fun time for both of you, and you'll learn a lot. Yeah, I know. I noticed in a few of your podcasts, you do a bit of fishing with your father as well. So what? I mean, what is hunting like up there in Michigan in the Upper Peninsula? Is it is it good hunting and fishing? And well, it's, <laughs> I live right on the shore of Lake Superior. So as far as fishing, we have some of the finest fishing in the world, freshwater fishing in the world. I live on the largest body of water, freshwater body of water in the world. Um, it's like having an ocean in my backyard, only it's fresh water. Um, the woods here, we have pristine cold water trout fishing. We have uh, amazing walleye uh, fishing, which is probably the finest tasting freshwater fish you'll ever eat. Um, we, it's amazing. Michigan is the Great Lakes state. I think in our entire state, I think they said you can't go more than six miles without encountering a uh, body of water in our state. So uh, it's everywhere, lakes and streams and ponds, and uh, it's an amazing, amazing place to live. Uh, if you're into hunting and fishing, there's really no finer place on the planet than here. We have more game than Alaska. Really? I've hunted uh, down in Texas a few times, the uh, doves down in Texas with uh, one of my uh, good friends from Dallas, his, uh, I think it's his brother-in-law down in Waco, and I've been, to, I've been to America four times, and yeah, certainly that's one thing that's uh, refreshing about uh, the United States uh, when I was down in Texas. I mean, when you're hunting, it's just no one looks at you like they do over here, especially the aunties sometimes. They look at you like there's something wrong with you, but over there... I mean, it's just a bunch of a bunch of friends, a bunch of guys and girls going out there and hunting and and shooting. It's it's really refreshing. Oh yeah, it's true. And for the majority of our country, that is the way it is. I'd be lying if I said that there aren't people everywhere that will look down their nose at you, or areas of the country where they'll look down your nose at you. Um, but for the most part, hunting and fishing is embraced in our country like uh, no other. What about in Michigan? Is that is it? Are you? What's the hunting and shooting? Um, I guess like up there, is it? You know, is it looked? You know, as you know, part of the outdoors? Is it or is it frowned upon or is it is it really respected up there in Michigan? We have the largest population of hunters of any state in the country in Michigan. Um, hunting is part of our culture. Unfortunately, most of our laws are, and most of our population centers are located in Detroit, which is a 
soulless, crime-ridden, uh, horrible place uh, that it's become. And the government of the state of Michigan is horrible when it comes to uh, hunting and fishing. We're constantly having to stop some lame-brained idea of what they believe they should do for gun control and things like that. Our, our representatives here in the state of Michigan, uh, we do have some very good ones, but unfortunately, for the most part, they're not from high-population areas. So the more powerful ones are the ones with the uh, stupidest ideas <laughs> when yeah. it comes to hunting and fishing. But um, for the most part, the population, the city, or the uh, the citizens of the state of Michigan embrace hunting wholeheartedly. And um, it is uh, opening day of white-tailed deer season in the state of Michigan is a bigger holiday than uh, Christmas or New Year's in some parts of the state. Yeah, I remember I think I saw a video with Ted Nugent. I'm sure he was talking about Michigan. But uh, do you guys have a dove season up there, or was that still uh, banned and illegal? No, we had a dove season. It was the... The Department of Natural Resources approved it. They had an experimental hunt. Everything went well. We have billions of doves here. It is, it, it's just unbelievable how many doves, especially here in the Upper Peninsula, how many doves we have. But the Humane Society of the United States, which is nothing more, they don't do anything for pets or anything like that, they're a uh, militant anti-hunting uh, group, uh, animal rights activist group, who, by the way, if uh, your listeners will do a little Google search, will find out they're very, very active in Australia. And um, you, can, you can chalk up some of your more inane things about duck hunting that go on there to, unfortunately, our export of the Humane Society of the United States. They come <laughs> in here and spent a bunch of money and we have, like you said, apathetic, complacent hunters who sat back and let them uh, put, you know, millions of dollars worth of advertising on television to uh, convince people that dove hunting was a horrible practice, and so they banned it, even though it's allowed in 47 other states, and it's a game bird. They tried to make it sound like we were out there shooting uh, uh, Tweety birds and pets, <laughs> and, uh, you know, banned, banned it, and it doesn't look like that's going to be overturned. Uh, maybe not even in my lifetime. Uh, that's a shame. Yeah, I, I, I love wing shooting. So I guess that goes into my next question. What sort of game species do you hunt up, up there in Michigan, Joe? What, what, and what's your favorite species to hunt? What, are you, what sort of game animals you got up there? Oh, geez, we have uh, an amazing amount. We have... Uh, uh, for large game, we have, in the state of Michigan, we have elk, we have white-tailed deer, um, we have bear hunting, we have um, turkey hunting, we have all kinds of small game, from ruffed grouse to pheasant to woodcock, uh, squirrels, um, waterfall, ducks and geese, and um, we have predator hunting. We have we have what well, we have hogs that we can then hunt, can hunt. I mean, it's just you name it. Pretty much, we've got it here, and it's uh, it's an amazing thing. You can do 
And in the fall here, you can do five or ten different types of hunting in one day if you wanted to. I oh, know. Now you're just making me jealous now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's always a crapshoot, especially turkey season in the spring. That's that's my favorite type of hunting to do now um, because it's warm. <laughs> For the most part, uh, as I grow older, getting cold gets less and less appealing. But I just love turkey hunting. I love the challenge of it. Um, the tur- the food, the turkey just is, tastes so good. It's you can't even imagine. And um, that's always the hard part. Is you know, one o'clock in the afternoon, you've been out hunting since six o'clock in the morning. To, you've always got that decision. Do I keep hunting or should we just go fishing? Because it's 80 degrees and I want to get out of all this camo and, uh, and, uh, it's bass season and uh, it's beautiful weather and, um, it's great to be able to do all that stuff. Nah, it sure does, mate. I'm jealous. I'm really jealous. But, uh, what's, does the weather and season have an effect on species hunted throughout the year? Say, like, have you got a lot of seasons on most of your game up there? Oh, yeah, almost all of our, our game has a season. Um, even for our, our varmint hunting, our, our predator hunting, there's a closed season uh, a couple of times during the year. Um, for the most part, most hunting starts in uh, the month of September for small game uh, and will run through the uh, beginning of the year in January. And then uh, we have turkey hunting in the spring um that we also have them in the fall but spring turkey season depending on what part of the state you're in will start uh like the last week of april and run through may man you know i'm just still i'm jealous man all right so what does let's let's get into firearms what does um what does joe duckworth have in his in his say gun safer on his gun rack and what's his favorite firearm oh geez i don't know i've got all kinds of guns uh, <laughs> um well, I've got lots of, I've got shotguns, uh, muzzle loaders, I've got guns that I've owned that I've gotten rid of, and then, um, I guess probably my favorite gun is my, uh, DPMS, um, AR-15, uh, in a 308 caliber. Uh, it's a semi-automatic, um, AR-15 that is, uh, instead of a 223, which is kind of the standard, it's in a 308, and we use that for uh, deer hunting. My son shot his first deer with that gun, and uh, so it's got a special place in my heart. I love that. I love that firearm. Uh, you could you send me over two, I'll take them if I can have them. <laughs> well, unfortunately, where you live, they are highly, highly illegal because for some reason, people over there think that uh, the ability to pull the trigger more than once means that you're some sort of a... Uh, uh, Crazy lunatic filled with bloodlust. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree with you, man. So, what about bow hunting up there in Michigan? Do you, you, are you allowed to bow hunt? What about crossbows as well? Is that uh, is that legal up there in Michigan? Yeah, bow hunting was in, invented here. <laughs> Michigan is Michigan is the home of Fred Bear, the most famous <laughs> bow hunter who ever lived. Um, yeah, bow hunting is probably bigger here than uh, just about any other state. Um, and it's one of my favorite things to do. Crossbows were just made legal here. They were legal in many states, but they uh, finally got over themselves down at the state legislature and passed a law allowing everybody to use crossbows. And it's really um, 
it's really expanded the numbers of archery hunters here. Crossbows are very neat. Um, I gotta say, I I had never even held a crossbow in my hands until uh, oh a couple of years ago. I had uh, heart trouble and I had heart surgery, and it cost me my hunting season. I wasn't able to shoot a gun um, because the recoil would basically uh, drive my breastbone into my heart. <laughs> um, so I wasn't allowed to do that. And uh, the good folks at Dart and Archery, Ted Harbum, and uh, those guys heard about my dilemma. And I came home one day. There on my front porch was a brand-new crossbow sitting in a box and uh, saved my hunting season. So I got a really... And that's the kind of the story, like I said the earlier, that's the kind of people that are in this industry. So... If you wonder why Garden's a sponsor of my show, that's why. Um, just good people. They're a Mich- Michigan company and uh, really great folks. Yeah, it's funny here. We can we can still hunt with bows, normal bows, like compound bows over here. But uh, oh, you probably wouldn't be surprised if I told you that uh, you know crossbows were banned over here, even though some of them you know like a thirty inches wide. I think the government and the uh, you know these anti-gun and anti-hunting people think you're going to be able to put you know, a 30-inch crossbow and conceal it down your pants or something like that. They are clueless, and that's where you need a national organization to be able to go in and educate those people and embarrass them into the fact that they are clueless because anybody who said, first of all, crossbows have less accuracy than regular compound bows nowadays. You can shoot a regular compound bow. There's less drop-off, and there's YouTube videos to prove it. There's less drop-off in a, co- a modern compound bow than there is in a crossbow. Your arrow drops farther with a crossbow. So the range of a crossbow is not greater. The accuracy of a crossbow is no more greater. And to be honest with you, they're actually, in some situations, harder to shoot because you have arm fatigue holding that crossbow up when you're hunting. Anybody, anybody who is against a crossbow when it comes to hunting is either uneducated about them or an elitist who doesn't feel that they should be considered archery. And they're both wrong. And they need to be educated. And you need a group of people to get together to spend the money, spend the time, spend the effort to educate them. Because once you do, and you realize, kids will be able to hunt with them. Kids can't draw back a 50-pound bow and shoot it accurately. But an adult can draw a crossbow for them and set them in a blind and show them how to properly um, take a deer or, or a game species with a bow. And you'll create a hunter for life by doing that. So it's a great thing to be able to have. Exactly, and sometimes I think, well, you know, you get, as you said, the elitists that say, well, hang on, you know, you should be using a bow, but isn't it, I think it's just about, as you said, get like you do with your son, getting out there, having fun, you know, obviously, you know, if you're going to hunt, you want to do it humanely, obviously, and, you know, if if you make the kills that are humane, I mean, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's all about having fun and getting out in the outdoors, not you know, being criticized by even people within the hunting and shooting community uh, about what tool you're using to use the job, so long as you obviously you're being humane and having fun. And that, to me, that's what it's all about. Well, the thing is, all hunters need to realize that if it's legal and it kills the animal quick, 
you should support it, whether you do it yourself or not. Exactly. Because if you don't, you are no better than an anti-hunter. All you are is a cannibal, which is even worse than an anti-hunter. Because we know what anti-hunter's about. But cannibal hunters are wolves in sheep's clothing. So if you don't partake in that particular activity yourself, you need to support your neighbor's right to do so. If it's legal and it leads to a quick and humane kill, you need to support it. Yeah, 100%, Joe, 100%. You've got some good advice there. So we were talking about um, uh, turkeys before and turkey hunting. Do you enjoy eating the game meat such as deer and turkey and I mean, when you're allowed to, obviously, doves and other game? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's, there's no finer food on the planet. Um, it's unprocessed. It's perfect. It's healthier, and it tastes amazing. Um, I would rather eat venison than any finest cut of beef that you could put in front of me. Um, turkey, wild turkey, tastes completely different than the processed, steroid-laden, water-laden, frozen variety that you get at the supermarket. If you have it prepared correctly, you would never want to eat any of that again if you could help it. Uh, Wild game is, uh, you know, I envy people like Ted Nugent who can eat that every day, who are able to, they completely eliminated store-bought meat from their diet because they're fortunate enough to be able to hunt often enough to have that game every day for their for their diet. Yeah, exactly. No, you're exactly right. I love eating game meat. We've got, you know, rabbits over here. We've got the uh, red fox. We've got, you know, waterfowl season. Uh, in, some, in some states, they've got waterfowl season uh, still illegal in this country. So, I mean, sometimes it's just great to have, you know, game meat and cooking. And I actually had a game chef uh, from the U- from England, the UK, on my show recently and shared some great ideas on game cooking. And, yeah, Ted Nugent, geez, what a lucky guy where he can eat uh, game meat, you know, uh, day in and day out. You know, what a uh, – you, you guys really do have the life sometimes, that's for sure. I forget who it was that told me. Maybe it was Brian Downs, I'm not sure – but said that uh, wild hogs and turkeys are not are are over there where you're at, but that people don't eat them. Well, yeah, um, we we do have a lot. We do have pigs. We got a lot of wild pigs. They're very they're very sneaky. The old wild pigs. Uh, I just did a podcast just last week actually with a uh, a uh, magazine, uh, a pig or oh, hog hunting magazine over here in Australia. So that'll be coming out very soon as well. And. Um, yeah, it's just uh, it's a lot of uh, you know they're, they're very sneaky animal, but some of them harbour diseases as well. So you got you, you just got to be very careful. But we do have turkeys, but yeah, we don't. A lot of people don't even really hunt them because there's not. I don't think there's many of them, and it's not really a big thing over here. Uh, uh, deer hunting's big over here. Goat goat hunting, uh, foxes, so predator hunting, rabbits, uh, hares. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah, there's still still a lot of game to hunt over here, that's for sure. And if you go to far north Queensland, you, there's uh, big camels. We've got camels over here as well that are in the outback. So certainly a lot of game to hunt. Um, you know, we've got a lot of lovely land over here that's just you know riddled with um, introduced feral species as well. So you know, we've we we still got. It's just hard sometimes when you you know uh, live in a country where unfortunately. And uh, I mean, hunting is—it's it's hunting and especially shooting and firearms. I think, especially the way the media has has portrayed us, is that it's not very well accepted within the uh, 
within the general population that don't hunt and shoot and don't know what it's all about. So, Well, that's the job of the hunters and shooters, to get out there and change that. And it can be done. you got to work at it. But uh, I'll tell you right now, if you have the ability to hunt a turkey, you need to do it. It is the most fun you can have with your clothes on. My <laughs> God, if, tur- if turkeys could smell, they would rule the world. <laughs> because you'd never, you would never be able to kill one. It would be impossible. I'm not kidding. Yeah, it yeah. is one of the hardest animals to hunt, but one of the most fun animals to hunt you will ever have because you're actively caught. It's just like elk hunting. And I know you have elk over there, too, uh, New Zealand anyway, um, and I'm, not, I'm pretty sure not Australia. But um, it is active, you know, you're not sitting in a blind all day long, you're calling, they've got unbelievable eyesight, so you have to be in camouflage from head to toe, and they taste amazing, better than any chicken dish you can ever have. Um, they are, and don't let anybody tell you any different, you know what, they, they are a game species, they are, you know, they are one of the kings of, of, of the woods over here. So if you get a chance to take a turkey in Australia, you need to try it. Um, yeah, it'll it'll uh, it'll teach you a lot. It'll humble you in a hurry. I might have to get a uh, Joe Duckworth uh, special recipe if I end up getting a turkey. <laughs> oh, it, well, it's not that hard, man. You just put them in the oven. <laughs> uh, good stuff. All right, we're on to our uh, one or two last questions just to uh, finish off. But uh, as I said, I think we uh, answered this question a little bit before. But let's say we've got a hunter. He's never, you know, picked up a yeah. You know, he's never picked up a firearm. He wants to get into the sport. What's just one or two bits of advice, as I think you said before, about safety? But what else would you recommend for a new hunter if he, you know, is it getting is it getting training if he's never hunted before? And what is if he doesn't have, say, a father figure that's taught, you know, shown him the art of hunting? What's some little bit of advice you'd give for those new people getting into the sport of hunting and shooting? Well, I get that question a lot, and I get I get it a lot from adults, adults who have because of television. Um, started watching hunting on TV and thought, that's something I would like to try myself. And really, honestly, the best thing to do is to find somebody who does it and, and learn from them. But let's say you can't. None of your friends hunt. None of your coworkers hunt, because I understand that that is a problem over there. The best thing to do is to read as much as you can, listen to podcasts like yours, and... Ask people if they hunt that you encounter. Eventually, you will find someone who does, and then just try to get as much information from them as you can. What kind of game do they hunt? How often do they hunt? Um, maybe you'll get invited along on one, but in worst case, you'll, you might get a tip or two that will send you in the right direction. We're really fortunate that we live in the time of the Internet because while there's some bad information out there, for the most part, the advice that you're going to get from other hunters worldwide is going to be good advice that you can apply no matter where you live. Um, hunting downwind of an animal is just as important in Australia as it is in Africa or Russia or the United States. Um, 
the, the biggest piece of advice that I can give is just get as much information as you possibly can before you go out there and do it. Now, this is assuming, of course, like I said, you've had some hunter safety training and you know how to properly handle a firearm or a bow um, because you don't want to go out there and kill yourself. And you don't want to go out there and kill somebody else because that's not going to help anybody. Um, you don't want to do more harm than good, that's for sure. That's right. Uh, good advice there, listeners. Take a note. Joe Duckworth knows what he's talking about, so take that on board. All right, second last question, uh, Joe. Tell us, mate, a story. So uh, maybe one of your favorite hunts, maybe you know a personal accomplishment with the podcast or something, even a funny story, something that stands out, say, in the life of Joe Duckworth that you remember to this day. <laughs> oh, man, there's so many of them. Um, I guess probably for me was sitting next to my son filming when he shot his first deer was probably the the high point of my hunting. I don't think that that would be something that I would ever be able to top. I, I, we had a youth hunt here in Michigan, so he was, he was young. He was, uh, I guess, let's see, I think he was 13. We were in a blind on a friend of mine's property, and it had, uh, it had been raining all morning. We went out there at dawn, and we sat in the blind on a ridge uh, with a bunch of acorn uh, drop, that had dropped, so there was deer activity in the area. They were coming up and feeding on the acorns. So we were sitting there in a blind, and, and it was just pouring down rain, and we were getting wet even inside the blind. And, and it's about, I don't know, 11 a.m. in the morning, we said, you know, let's go get something to eat. There's nothing happening. We haven't seen a single deer. You know, this is this is horrible. So we packed up and walked down to the car and got in and drove into town. It was about, oh, I don't know, a ten minute drive to to get to the restaurant. And we went and we had lunch. Dried up a little bit. Came back to my buddy's place, talked to him, and and said, well, we'll head we'll head back out now. It was probably I don't know, two thirty in the afternoon. We were going to head back out. So we got all dressed back up in our camo and, and put on some dry clothes and wiped down the gun. And <laughs> this is that, that DPMS 308. We walk back to the blind, and, and just as we get up to the blind, we hear all kinds of crashing through the woods. The deer were on the trail that we were watching eating the acorns. If we'd have stayed in the blind, they'd have been there. Yeah, right. Thought, oh, God, now we've blown it. Because for the most part, when you spook a deer out of there, you're not going to see anything. But because it was my son's hunt, and we only had a two-day youth hunt, I said, well, we'll go back and sit. So we got we got crammed back in the blind. I'm sitting behind him with the camera. And sure enough, about 15 minutes later, the deer start to come back in. And my son is sitting there, and he's freaking out. He's got the scope on the deer, and he's just holding it. And I'm sitting there with the camera, and he can see it better than I can. And I'm like, no, don't shoot, don't shoot yet. I want to get it on film. All I can see is its head, but he's got a clear view of the vitals. And would you believe that my son had the patience to sit there for 20 minutes with that deer in his scope until it stepped behind the tree far enough for me to be able to get the shot on film. And he shot it, and I got it on film, and the look on my son's face when he did that was just priceless. And I'll remember that day till the day I die. It was it was probably the the greatest day of my life. I I just can't tell you how how happy and proud I was. And I bet I bet you he was pretty excited about it too, huh? Oh jeez. Yeah, until I made him process the deer and got the deer, he wasn't quite as excited then. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, true. 
All right, Joe, we're going to finish off, mate. So let's just, if, if people wanted to find out about, say, Nosler's Huntcast, the outdoor show, they wanted to, you know, possibly send you an email that you can put on your show, they want to ask you some advice, or where can they go to to listen to the podcast and where can they go and download it from uh, so they can listen to your fabulous show? Okay, well, probably the easiest thing is to go to my webpage, huntcastshow.com. Um, the most recent shows are there. You can also find it at the Apple iTunes Music Store. And uh, there's links there where you can uh, find us on Facebook. There's a Facebook group for uh, Nosler's Huntcast. Uh, it's an open group. Anybody can join, so we'd love to have you. We've got people from all over the world that listen to the show. And, uh, you know, it's just a place where people trade links and talk about hunting and, uh, and things. So um, Facebook's probably the easiest. And, uh, like I said, the show's available at the iTunes Music Store. So if you just search HuntCast on Google, uh, H-U-N-T-C-A-S-T, all one word, um, you'll find all kinds of stuff. All right, Joe, thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate your uh, time in uh, coming on the Australian Hunting Podcast to talk with us about uh, hunting and shooting. Um, it's fantastic what you do for the hunting and shooting community and what you know uh, information you give out to you know hunters, shooters, and fishermen, not only, I mean, obviously in the United States, but in all parts of the world, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's fantastic. And, uh, yeah, 10 years ago, there was nothing like this. And now there's all these podcasts promoting, you know, hunting and shooting and such as yours and mine. And, mate, you're a wealth of knowledge, man. And, that's, and, that, and, that, and you know, this is what the community is all about, sharing knowledge on hunting and shooting. And, uh, you know, you're doing a fantastic job. And I hope, you know, you keep going in the future because I enjoy listening to your podcasts when they come out. That's for sure. And I've gone through some of your old ones and, there's a lot of great stuff that I've learned from your podcast, from, you know, uh, Brian Downs' podcast, the Predator Hunting Talkcast as well. And, you know, it's just it's just great that, you know, how great is it that we can come over from, you know, people like me from Australia. I mean, I'm talking to you, interviewing you over the internet and, you know, all these social media networking sites, you know, promoting the sport. I mean, I think we're in the best time we've ever been in, you know, in the last probably, you know, 10 to 20 years especially with all these new avenues to connect with each other so mate i really do appreciate you coming on the show uh fantastic i'm sure a lot of people are going to get a lot from this podcast a lot of my listeners and hopefully again from a lot of my listeners you will gain a lot more listeners too so thanks for coming on the show mate it's really appreciated well thanks for all the kind words and uh, it was great being here and uh, uh look forward to doing it again sometime you've just been educated and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.